Well, happy Easter, Salem Chapel. Uh, what a Resurrection Sunday we have uh, right now before us. And I know it's unlike anything that you have ever experienced. I mean, when have you ever celebrated Easter in your pajamas? And I know some of you are probably doing that. I hope at least you have pastel pajamas, but regardless of what uh, you may be wearing, we are not going to allow that to deter us from celebrating the greatest event in human history, which is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter number one. We're going to look at verses three through seven this morning. And so I want to give you a little context because we're jumping into a passage of scripture that we have not been in. And so let me give you some context to this letter from Peter. Peter is writing this. It's in the middle of the first century. He's writing this to a group of Jews who are distraught. They've been dispersed all over the Roman Empire and Asia Minor. They are longing for their homeland again. They are separated from family as as they're getting this letter from Peter. And I love what Peter reminds them of in spite of their difficult circumstances that they are experiencing. He reminds them of how and why they can have hope in the midst of trouble. So hopefully you're in 1 Peter 1. I'm going to read verse 3, and then we're going to walk through verses 4 through 7 this morning. 1 Peter 1, 3 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. You ought to underline that phrase, living hope, through, and here's something else you need to underline, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Here's the title of the message if you're taking notes this morning. The title is this, Is Your Hope Alive? or dead? Ask yourself that. Is my hope right now alive or is it waning or is it even dead? Because here's the idea that I want you to understand as we walk through this passage of scripture today. It's this, the resurrection of Jesus Christ provides you with a living hope. That that's the amazingness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that if you believe in that today, that you have not just a hope, but a living hope. And so let me give you a definition of living hope. Living hope is this. It is a hope sourced in Jesus that is alive in, through, above, and beyond all circumstances. So let me read that definition again. A living hope is a hope that is sourced in Jesus that is alive in and through, above, and beyond all circumstances. That when Peter says that word living hope, he literally is referring to it being alive, that it grows because it's alive and it becomes greater and greater and more beautiful as time goes on. It's an amazing thing. You know what I found about myself during this time that we're in this coronavirus, we can't gather together. That that may be, you may be even struggling right now because you're like, man, I want to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but it's really hard for me right now. I'm, I'm, I'm really down it. I'm just reminded more than ever, more than any other day of the circumstances that we are in. And I get that. I understand that. Believe me. But I think 
What this reminds me of speaking personally is I can hope in things that actually can cause me to lose hope. Do you hear what I said in that? That we, that I, can hope in things that actually result in me not having hope, but losing hope. I can have my hope in unfulfilled expectations. Maybe you had some expectations of of something during this time or before we got into this time or we had to have a shelter in place and those unfulfilled expectations have actually caused you to lose hope because you were putting hope in those things. Maybe it's time. Maybe something hasn't worked according to the time that that you desired and so you've put hope in the time that you thought it would happen and because you put hope in that, it's actually causing you to lose hope. Maybe it's people. Maybe it's things. But when we think about that definition that we gave for living hope, I want you to ask yourself, man, does that definition, a hope that is sourced in Jesus that's alive in, through, above, and beyond all circumstances, does that characterize you right now? Does that characterize you? Do you have this living hope that is not deterred or does not die in the midst of our chaos or the crisis or the difficulties that you may be experiencing right now. Because if you've lost your hope, let me tell you, if you've lost your hope, it's not a living hope. And God wants you and he wants me to live with a living hope, a hope that grows, a hope that's alive, a hope that grows more beautiful with time, not a hope that wanes. So let me give you three characteristics of a living hope according to this passage of scripture in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. Here's the first characteristic of hope, and we read it in verse 3 already. Number one, living hope comes from God, not circumstances. It's sourced. It comes from God, not circumstances. And I really believe this. I believe one of the ways that God is using this terrible coronavirus crisis, that God is using this to cause us to see, to cause you to see how fragile the things are that we have looked to for hope, how fragile they are. And we're seeing now, all of us, regardless of what you may be a placing your hope in, all of us are beginning to see, if you haven't seen already, that those things are not where we receive a living hope, according to the definition that we gave. That those things that we have been looking to for our hope, they can't withstand difficult circumstances. They can't withstand what a virus causes us to have to do. Therefore, what does God want? What does God want for you? What does God want for me? He wants us to trust and to rely and look to a living hope that is alive in, through, above, and beyond all circumstances because it's sourced in Jesus. Look at what Paul starts off in verse 3 by saying. He says, to these Jews that are struggling, that have been dispersed from their homeland, he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter starts off by telling the Jews to be thankful. I think that's so interesting. I mean, Peter's writing under the the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, so we know that he's not making a mistake, that he tells them that he encourages them to be thankful. To be thankful to who? To God 
and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know what I found out about thankfulness during this time? Because I've had to exercise the discipline of it? That thankfulness feeds hope and starves fear. That the way that I can experience living hope and press into that living hope is to be thankful. You know, you can be thankful and hopeful, but here's what you can't be. You can't be fearful and hopeful. Thankful and hopeful, yes. Fearful and hopeful, no. And why should I be thankful? Because I know some of you are probably asking, yes, I know that. Uh, You've said that before as we've been walking through Psalm 27, heart of a lion. I know that. I don't need you to remind me of that. And so you're asking yourself, yeah, but why should I be thankful? You may be on the other side of this screen and you may be saying, well, well, man, this spirituality, this stuff, I'm tuning in because honestly, I don't know where else to turn. And why in the world should I be thankful during this time? Well, look at God's word. And he says it right there in verse three. He says, according to his great mercy. What is a simple definition of mercy? It's this, not getting what I deserve. Not getting what you deserve. And what do you and I deserve? Well, can I tell you what God's word says we deserve? Because Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That word glory means perfection of God, that God is perfect and, and I'm sinful and you're sinful. And because of my sin, I've fallen short of God's standard, of God's glory, of the perfection that God needs and desires in order to have a relationship with me, I've fallen short of that because of my sin. Romans 6.23 tells me what I deserve because of that sin. Because Romans 6.23 says, the wages of my sin is death. And so you may be saying to yourself, well, really, Johnny, I can find a lot of people that are worse off than me. I can find a lot of people that have done worse things than I've done. I think I'm actually a pretty good person. I've done a lot of good things. I've even, I've even, ministered to other people and helped other people during this time that we're in. You're really telling me that, that I'm, a, I'm a sinful person and, and God won't accept me in and of myself and the good things that I've done? Well, I'm not saying that. God's word is saying that because in Isaiah 64, 6, it says that all of my righteous, all of my good deeds, the deeds that I just mentioned just a minute ago, all of those deeds, good deeds, whatever it may be, man, I love my wife, I love my kids, I wanna be... I want to be a good citizen, all those things. Isaiah 64, 6 says they're like a polluted garment. Before who? Before a perfect God. Why? Because if I sin once, I've fallen short, as Romans 3, 23 said, of God's standard, God's glory, God's perfection. But here's what's awesome. Here is mercy personified. Because in Romans 5, 8, it says, but God demonstrated, he showed He put his love on display. How? That in the midst of our sin, your sin, my sin, that in the midst of our sin, that Christ died for us. Listen to me. God does not use vengeance to scare you into a relationship with him. He uses his mercy. He uses his kindness. Romans 2, 4 says God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance, to lead us to a place to realize, God, I am nothing without you. I need you. I need your mercy. I'm thankful that you're giving me what I don't deserve. And God's great mercy is the greatest thing for you to be thankful for and for me to be thankful for. 
And it's the thing that we need to focus on right now. Right now. And later on, and every day, that God's mercy is the thing that we need to be thankful for because what did his great mercy provide you with and provide me with according to this passage of scripture that we're looking at? It says it right there. It's provided us so that we can be born to a living hope. A hope that is alive in and through and above and beyond all circumstances. That that's what God offers us. Well, how can you have confidence that you can have a living hope? Like that's what God offers, but how can we have confidence this morning that we can have it? How can we have confidence this morning that we've already received it? Look at what it says. This is, this is the guarantee, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's why I said the idea that I want us to understand this morning is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ provides you, provides me with a living hope. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 17 says it this way. Paul says it this way. If Christ has not been raised, your faith, my faith, is futile. It's worthless. And you and me, we're still in our sins. Like if Jesus Christ has not been raised from the dead, then man, turn off the computer, turn off the TV, go do something else on your phone because we might as well not be celebrating anything. That's what Paul is saying. Verse 19, he says, in, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. What is he saying there? Man, if all our hope rests in things that are vulnerable to circumstances, man, we need to be pitied. But I'm so thankful that's not the case because living hope comes from God, not circumstances. Listen to me. Jesus did for me and Jesus did for you what we cannot do for ourselves so that we can possess what we could never possess on our own, living hope. Here's a second characteristic of living hope. Look at, as we continue in verses four and five, verse three says this, he, God has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now verse four, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Aren't those awesome verses about how secure our living hope is? Here's a second characteristic of a living hope. A living hope is received, but never lost. It's received, like God offers it, we can receive it, but it will never be lost. So here's what you need to understand in the context of this. In the first century, and really it's true for us today, an inheritance was important. And we could say an inheritance is pretty important today. What does inheritance do? It provides security and standing. Now to a Jew, an inheritance, and we see all throughout the Old Testament how important an, how important an inheritance was. Because an inheritance was land. It was status. It was something that could be passed down from generation 
to generations. Now think about that. You have these Jews that have been removed from their land. There was no hope of such social standing. There was no hope of acquiring land again. There was no hope of security that an inheritance could establish or could offer. And right now, can you already connect the dots? Right now, whatever we are looking to for financial security. Because you may, you may be saying, man, I'm, I'm more worried about losing my job and the financial implications of what we're having to go through with this coronavirus than, than I am of, of ever getting it. And so when we think about that word inheritance, some of you are already beginning to think of what you've already lost maybe or what you're afraid of losing in the midst of what we are experiencing. But here's Peter's point. He wants to point out something that's better than the things that these individuals have lost or are concerned in losing. And what the Lord wants you to see is something that is better than the things that you have lost or the things that you're concerned of losing the inheritance that, that we have as sons and daughters of King Jesus, the inheritance that you can possess if you have a relationship with the Lord. Well, what's that inheritance? Well, let me give you three things. First of all, the inheritance is a relationship with God. A relationship with God. Romans 8.15 says that we've received an adoption as sons and daughters, and we now can call God, the creator of the universe, Father. Because of what Jesus Christ has done for you and done for me, that I can have a relationship with Almighty God, that that's part of my inheritance. What else? Well, I've also been given the Holy Spirit, who's also a part of the Trinity and the Godhead. John 14, 26, Jesus calls the Holy Spirit, a helper, and says that this helper will teach us things and cause us to remember the things in God's word and how we're supposed to live. Romans 8, 11 says the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, the resurrection that we're celebrating today, the same spirit that raised him from the dead lives in you and me if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. What an amazing inheritance. I have a relationship with God. I have the power of the Holy Spirit to help me live this life and endure difficulties in this life. And here's another part of our inheritance. Man, we have a home in heaven. John 14, 2, many of you know this. Maybe some of you don't. Jesus says this to his disciples. In my Father's house are many rooms. Some of your translations, or you may have the verse memorized, many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. How awesome is that? That right now, Jesus is preparing a place for me to dwell for all of eternity. And he's doing that for you. If you put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Many of you know this, I, I lived in Naples for 10 years before we moved to Winston-Salem three years ago. And, and one of the things that I loved to do when people would come and, and visit us in Naples, Florida, is we would go out on this Naples boat cruise. It'd just go out into the channel. And when you went out in the channel, you would see all these homes that would just blow you away. Like they would be unfathomable how big they were. And, and, 
And there's even a road that, that, is, that is in Naples that's called Millionaire's Row and this area of Naples called Port Royal where you have all of these massive homes and the most expensive home for sale in Naples right now, if you wanted to know, is $65 million. And it's right there on Gordon Drive. You can, you can Google it. You can, you can even see the listing. I got a couple pictures on the screen of this home. And I remember every time, no matter how many times I went on that boat cruise, just to see people's jaws drop, is every time that I went out, I would look at those homes and I would think to myself, man, Lord, if this is what man can build, I can't imagine what you can do. Now, some of you are like, you know what? I could care less about a $65 million home. I just want to keep my little home. I just, I just want to know that I'm going to be able to pay the bills. I'm not wanting something like that. And I hear you. I hear you. But I want you to think about right now, put that aside and think about this inheritance, a relationship with God that will never end that can never be taken away from you, as John 10, 28 says. No one can snatch it from the Father's hand. This relationship that promises in Philippians 4, 19 that, that God will supply every one of your needs. He knows your needs right now. That type of a relationship, what an amazing inheritance that is that I have today and that you can have today or you do have today that I have the power of the Holy Spirit to give me this strength to endure things in such a way that lives with this living hope, that I have a home in heaven. And look at how he describes this inheritance. I love this. Look how lock tight this inheritance is. He says it's imperishable, imperishable, which means immune from decay or death. Like nothing's gonna touch it. It's undefiled, it's pure, it's pristine, it's never going to decay, it's never going to lose its value, it's unfading, it's not going to lose its beauty. It actually goes up in value is the idea. Now think of all the financial unrest that we are experiencing right now that maybe we may, we may have placed our hope in and let's focus our attention on the living hope that has been provided for us through the resurrection of Jesus Christ and what it is. It is imperishable. It is undefiled. It is unfading. And why is this inheritance described this way? Look at what he says in verse, in verse five. He says, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. You know why this inheritance is described the way that it is? Is because God is the one who's guarding it. God is. Not some banker, not some businessman, not the head of some company. God is guarding it. He's guarding it through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time that when am I going to fully understand the beauty and awesomeness of this inheritance that I have been given freely by Jesus Christ? When am I going to realize that in the last time? Because John 14, 3 says, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am there you may be also. Listen to me, I'm going to realize the beauty of that inheritance if my days are done and I move from this life to the next or Jesus Christ comes back before I die but it's imperishable, it's undefiled, it's unfading. 
Here's the third characteristic, and it's found in verses six and seven. A living hope gives clarity in the midst of confusion. Look at what verse three says again. He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In verse six, in this you rejoice. What do we rejoice in? The living hope that we've been given. He says, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What is your motivation to rejoice today? Well, according to this verse, these, these verses, the only motivation to rejoice is that I've been given a living hope when it would seem as though I have no reason to rejoice. When it seems right now for you, you have no reason to rejoice today. All you're focusing on is what you have lost. When you have no reason, what do you rejoice in? What do I rejoice in? I rejoice in the living hope that I have been given by God through Jesus Christ. And my living hope reminds me that the worst circumstances that I experience in this life will be the only hell I ever experience. Because I'm a child of God. I have a home in heaven. Do you understand that? The worst experiences, the worst circumstances, as difficult as they may be, and I'm not minimizing those, will be the only hell that I ever experience. Man, I have, I have a living hope that reminds me that God doesn't waste any circumstances. He's not wasting this virus and what's going on he's not wasting it he didn't cause it but he's not wasting it he's removing the things that i may have been hoping in that really don't provide hope so that i can once again focus on the living hope and here's what else this living hope reminds me of it reminds me that my living hope will be more alive to me after this trial than before it Here's why I say it. Look at verse seven. He says, I want you to rejoice because the testing of the genuineness of your faith, what does it produce when we're tested? When we go through a difficulty, what it does is it reminds us that this living hope is more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire. And what it results is, is praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Remind yourself right now that as difficult as this time is for you, that your living hope and your understanding of it and your appreciation of it and the beauty of it will be greater at the end of this than it was before this. Are you good at math? Uh, I'm not. That's why. It's one of the reasons why I've gone into the pastoral field rather than to the math field. But here's one universal truth in mathematics: one plus one is always going to equal two. Right? It's the most simple universal truth in mathematics. Well, here is another universal truth, a spiritual truth. And it's this, that living hope, living hope is always greater than your trials. Always. Living hope is always greater at your trials. So don't let the news, don't let the stock market, don't let the coronavirus, don't let the threat of you losing your job or, or business, as difficult as those things may be, to rob you of experience and growing in the living hope that has been provided to you through Jesus Christ. And you're like, I know I should believe that, but I'm struggling right now. And I get that. And God wants you 
to hear your struggles. But one of the most impactful things that has ever happened in my life is when I went to Israel this past October and I had the privilege of going to where most thought that Jesus was buried. And man, that was an emotional thing for me because I had the privilege of being able to walk into that tomb and to see it empty. To not see a body there, to not see a sarcophagus there or a tomb there, but to see it empty. And to think of all the things that I struggled with in the past and all the doubts and all the fears and all the questions and all the circumstances and to walk into that tomb that was empty and say, God, every question that I had, every fear that I had, every circumstance that I had, that that empty tomb speaks to every single one of those. And if you're struggling right now and you're wondering what's up from down, what's from east to west, I want you to think again to the empty tomb because listen to me, the echo of that empty tomb speaks louder and needs to speak louder than any other thing that is loud in your mind right now. We have a living hope because Jesus has risen from the dead. And so as you're on the other end of the camera, I want to ask you, have you ever placed your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior? Do you have a relationship with the Lord? Because let me read to you again, Romans 5, 6 through 8. It says, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, that's you and me. For one would scarcely die for a righteous person, right? Like, like if I was given the chance to die for someone who was good, man, that would still be a struggle. But it says, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God loves you. He offers you mercy instead of judgment for your sin. And what is necessary for you to put your trust in Jesus Christ is for you to admit that you're a sinner, to call out to God right now, to ask forgiveness of your sin, to repent of your sin, to turn from it, to just call out to the Lord and say, God, would you forgive me of my sin? I turn from my sin. I put my trust in you as my Lord and Savior. And the beauty of it is that if you pray that, if you say that, that you will be saved. That's Romans 10, 9, and 10. There'll be something on the screen, a way for you to indicate that if today you're like, today I am putting my trust in my Lord as my Savior. Man, I want you to click that. I want you to follow up with us. You can email us at info at salemchapel.org and let us know that you put your trust in Jesus Christ and we would love to follow up with you. Put resources in your hand. But for those of us, church, who have placed our relationship in Jesus Christ, man, we need to allow the echo of the tomb to be louder than any other voice and live on this resurrection Sunday and every day, live with the living hope provided for us through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, I thank you today that we can celebrate even in the midst of, of just unforeseen circumstances in our living rooms, and we want to gather together and celebrate the greatest day that could ever have happened, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Lord, that doesn't change what that reality is. Lord, you're still risen, regardless of whether or not we can celebrate together or not. 
And God, may we live with a living hope. In Jesus' name, amen.